seconds ago while I was talking, I mentioned that I felt like a lot of Christians in our world today had kind of made an idol out of a lack of responsibility. And I kind of wanted to go into depth today about what I meant by that and how we can avoid that. So first, let's clarify exactly what an idol is. Uh, if You've spent a lot of time reading scripture when you think of an idol, you're probably going to think of some kind of man-made uh, image or a statue that people worship. But an idol is actually more than just that. An idol is anything that you put in God's place. So anything that is kind of that center of your life, kind of that final authority in your life, that thing that you worship that's most important to you, that should always be God. And so anytime that you put something else in that place that only God should be filling, that thing becomes an idol. Now, it's possible to take a single characteristic of God and make that one characteristic an idol in your life. So let me explain what I mean by that. Let's take the Pharisees for an example. Now, the Pharisees took just the justice aspect of God and kind of made that their whole God. And so their whole faith, their whole religion revolved around just the just aspect of God. And so they came up with all of these extra rules uh, that people had to follow in order to be right with God as they saw it. And in doing so, they had taken away the grace aspect of God and was only worshiping the just aspect of God. And I think sometimes what we do is we take just that one characteristic of God and say, this is what my God is going to be. And when we remove it from all that God is, then that becomes an idol in our life, that single characteristic becomes an idol that has now replaced God in your life. And so I think a lot of Christians have done that, and they've taken the authority of God, that God is an authority, he's on the throne, and they have made that all that God is to them. And in doing so, they've we, we've kind of built this faith of just expecting God to take care of everything. And that's not what our faith should be. That's not what faith is. Faith is not just expecting God to take care of everything because he's an authority. And so I want us to look at a passage of scripture that really contrasts that idea. Because when you believe that God is just going to take care of everything because he's an authority then you're not taking any responsibility for your own life or responsibility for the tasks that God has given you or the world that God has put you in. You, you don't take any responsibility for any of it. And, and so because of that, your faith becomes a faith that is dead because there's no responsibility tied with that faith. And so I want us to look at a scripture a passage of scripture, it's the book of James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And this is actually a passage of scripture that got James um, 
into kind of a bit of trouble in the early church because in the early church they were moving away from the Pharisees religion of just the just aspect of God and just that God is you know rigid and lawful and they were moving into this place of of the grace of God and James recognized that they were having such a big swing such a big shift into just the grace of God and they he needed to pull back the reins a bit and so there was a lot of debate over this passage of scripture but let's read through it because it shows us what it means to have an active living faith that comes with responsibility so again this is James chapter 2 beginning at verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So this passage, first of all, is not talking about salvation, which is from grace alone, but it's talking about what it looks like to have a living, active faith. And in order to have that kind of faith, it has to be accompanied by actions. And so this first passage talks about, you know, if someone is needing clothes and food and you just say, well, go and be fed and be warm, but you don't actually do anything about it, then that's useless. And that shows that your faith is completely dead because those thoughts and words that you give to them don't actually meet their physical needs. And if you have a faith that is active and living, then you take responsibility for the situation that that person is in, and you actually do something about that physical need. You don't just wish them well, you do something tangible to help them. And so our faith then is dead if we don't take responsibility for others. Again, it's coming back to that idea of a lack of responsibility and whether or not we're going to take responsibility for the people who are around us, and that shows whether or not we have a living faith or a dead faith. 
Now, we went through this passage in my Bible study and where, I, you know, we just read a passage of scripture and I asked some questions and we got into a great discussion about this passage uh, where I asked the question, if saying you will pray for someone, where, where does that fit in to these two categories? Is that actually doing something for the person or is that just kind of wishing them well? And as we talked about it, we kind of came to the conclusion that saying you'll pray for someone really falls more into the category of just giving them your thoughts and words and not actually doing anything tangible to help them. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't believe in the power of prayer. I absolutely believe in the power of prayer and that we need to be praying for one another. And I'm so thankful for all of the prayers that I receive from others. And I you know, I've talked about how I've challenged myself to pray more for other people because prayer does do things in this world. Prayer is powerful. But a lot of Christians use it as a crutch to not have to actually get involved with what someone is dealing with in the situation that they're in. Where if someone is dealing with a loss or they have a need in their life, that Christians are so easily dismissive of it simply by saying, well, I'll pray for you. And they, say, and, and they think that by praying for them that they have done something to help their situation. But really they haven't done anything tangible to help that person physically with the situation they're dealing with. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still pray for people that are going through difficult times, but what I'm saying and what I believe James is saying in this passage is don't leave it at just saying, I'll pray for you. Do more than that. Ask, and how can I help you in the situation that you're in? So that you aren't just wishing them well, right? It's not just saying to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed. It's doing something about their physical need. And so we want to make sure that our faith isn't a faith that just says, well, I'll pray for you. But it's a faith that moves us to directly help out other people in a tangible way. Taking responsibility for their situation and asking yourself, what can I do to actually help this person in what they're dealing with? And then asking them, you know, what can I do for you? And doing something tangible. And that shows that you have a faith that is active because it's tied together with doing something tangible to help the situation. It's taking that responsibility and doing something. So then James goes on and he actually points out something that I think is very profound. He says, uh, you believe that there's one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. And that has always been a very challenging verse for me personally, because I have to, you know, think to myself, okay, the demons believe God exists, and they even shudder at his name. They have a fear of God so they recognize the authority and power of God and believe that he exists. So if that is 
what the if, if that's where the demons are if that is all that my faith is then i have a faith that is no greater than the demons if all my faith is is that i believe in god and that i recognize his power and authority and that's as far as my faith goes then my faith is no greater than a demon's faith and that's something that's always been challenging to me to then say okay well how can i have a faith that is greater than the faith of a demon and so we look at okay well what is the difference then between the life that a believer should live according to scripture and the life that a demon lives and obviously uh Demons do not operate in the will of God. They act in opposition to the will of God. So first of all, that tells us that just because we believe in God doesn't mean that we are acting in the will of God. It doesn't mean that we are uh, in the will of God just because we believe in God. The demons believe in God. They clearly do not act in accordance to his will. They're not in the will and plan that God has um, for the world. And the reason they're not is because they actively work against the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, the work of that kingdom, is that all people come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus' sacrifice for them so that they can receive forgiveness for their sin. That is the work of the kingdom of God. And the demons actively work against that. And if we are in a place where we are not participating in that kingdom work, that shows that our faith is dead. Because what more are we doing? What, what more do we have than the demons at that point? If we say we believe in God, we recognize his power and authority, but we don't participate in the work of the kingdom, our faith is dead. And so, I think so often what Satan will try to do is get us to convince ourselves that as long as we believe in God, that we are in his will. And move us to a place of complacency where we don't think it's necessary to participate in the kingdom, in the kingdom's work. And that's not a new trick that he tries to do. That's exactly what he did when he was attempting to uh, tempt Jesus in the desert. So in, this is in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is fasting for 40 days and night before he begins his ministry. And Satan shows up at the end of those 40 days and nights and attempts to uh, tempt Jesus. And if you look at the ways that Satan tries to tempt Jesus, he tempts him with happiness and ease and comfort. So Jesus is obviously hungry from fasting, and Satan says, well, why don't you turn these rocks to bread so that you can eat? 
And then Satan takes him to a high tower and says, why don't you throw yourself off from this tower so angels will catch you and everyone will see that you're from God. And then he takes Jesus to another place and says, just bow down and worship me. Just bow down, let go of everything that you have to do, and let me take care of it. He tempts Jesus with a life of happiness and ease and comfort. Why? Because he is trying to prevent Jesus from doing the work that God has called him to do. And Jesus countered him by bringing the truth of God, which again is the whole work of the kingdom, is to bring the truth of God into the lives of others. That's exactly what Jesus does in that situation. When Satan tries to convince him to turn the stones to bread, Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone. Satan says, throw yourself off of here. Angels will catch you. Jesus says, it's also in scripture not to tempt or to not test the Lord your God. Satan says, bow down and worship me. Let me take all of this work away from you. Jesus says, I will serve no one but God. I will have no other gods but the God of heaven. And so what Jesus does in that situation is he points out the error in the Satan in, in Satan's arguments and brings the truth of God into those situations. And that's what we should be doing as well. That's, that's really what it means to participate in the work of the kingdom, is that you are bringing truth into the situations. Now, here's the thing. You often have to identify something as false before you can correct it. Because if you can't identify that it's false or that it's, uh, there's some kind of error in it, that it's somehow wrong, then there's no need to fix it. And so what Jesus was doing with Satan was he is, was exposing uh, the falseness of his argument and bringing the truth in. And that's what we need to be doing in our situations as well. That's what it means to participate in the work of the kingdom is to be able to identify and oppose evil teaching that is in our world so that we can bring the truth of God into it. But that is an active role. And again, it means we have to take the responsibility of doing that ourselves. Not leaving it for someone else. Not even leaving it for just God to take care of. But to take part in that ourselves. To identify and oppose evil teaching and bringing truth into those places instead, just like Jesus did. So then James goes on, and he gives two great examples of how faith ties together with deeds in order to bring works of righteousness. And he points out the life of Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice his son um, that God had given him, was willing to sacrifice him for God, and of course, if you know the story, God prevents Abraham from actually doing so. But it still showed that Abraham was willing to do that. 
And then James also talks about Rahab, the prostitute, who housed Israelite spies and helped them get away. Now, both of these situations are pretty drastic scenarios where Abraham is willing to sacrifice his son for God and where Rahab is willing to put her very life on the line in order to rescue God's people. So in both of these situations, what we have is a, a radical action taking place to show that these people were righteous and full of faith. And so that shows me that a, the righteousness of a person is shown through radical actions. That it doesn't happen by just kind of going along with the flow and just kind of, you know, taking opportunities as they come, but being willing and able to go out of our way to find opportunities to do the work of God that goes so completely opposite from everything that comes naturally to us. Both Abraham and Rahab were willing to take risks and make sacrifices. And because of that, their faith and righteousness was shown. And that really tells me that our faith, my faith, is dead if there is never any risk or sacrifice involved in my faith walk. If I never have to take any risks or make any kind of sacrifices to be a follower of Christ in my day-to-day -day life, then I truly do not have a faith that is living and active. Faith, when followed through, is always accompanied with some kind of risk or sacrifice. I mean, look at the life of Jesus' disciples. You know, 11 out of the 12 disciples that Jesus had were killed for their faith. And the 12th one, John, was exiled to the island of Patmos to die of starvation there in exile. Every single one of them were sentenced to some kind of death. And 11 of them, 11 of the 12, were actively killed directly because of their faith. That shows something to us. They were killed for their faith because they were willing to take risks and make sacrifices for the name of Jesus Christ. And if we're never making any kind of sacrifices, we're never taking any kind of risks, that shows us that our faith is not living and active, that we are not walking in paths of righteousness, but instead we're in a place where our faith is dead because 
we are not taking any responsibility. There's a lack of responsibility in our life where we think, well, I believe in God, and so I'll just kind of expect God to take care of everything. And I'm just going to sit back and, and, and kind of watch what happens. That is not what faith is. If we have a faith that is alive, then it will move us to let God put us in places that stretch us, places where we're not comfortable, places that we don't want to be in because there's risk involved and there's sacrifice involved. But God wants to move us to those places so that we can effectively do the work of his kingdom. And that through those works, through those deeds, those actions, we will show that we are walking in paths of righteousness and that we have a faith that is living because we are taking responsibility for the places that are around us and letting God move us into places that we would not naturally want to go in. But that shows us what kind of faith we should have. That was the faith that Abraham had. That was the faith Rahab had. That was the faith that the, that the disciples had. And if we're not willing to go to those places where God can stretch our faith, then we are not serving the God who saved us. We are serving a God where there is no responsibility that we have to take. And that is not the one true God. And if that is our attitude, then we have made an idol out of a lack of responsibility. We have taken just the authority of God and made that our God and said, well, God is in control of everything. God will take care of everything. It's all on God's plate and nothing is required of me. And that is simply not true when you look at Scripture. And if we truly do have a faith in God, then that faith, again, is not just expecting God to take care of everything, but that living faith as seen in James is trusting God to help us take the risks and make the sacrifices required for his kingdom's work as we take responsibility for others and the situations that we are in and the situations that they are in. That is what it means to have a living faith. It comes with responsibility. It comes with letting God move us to places that stretch us. It requires us to participate in the work of his kingdom. And it requires us to take responsibility for other people, the situations they are in, the condition of their souls and their hearts, to take that responsibility and say, I'm not going to sit back and just let things play out. I am going to let God move me to help these people that are in desperate need of his truth, his grace, his salvation. That is what it means to have a living faith. And it is time for all Christians, all believers, all followers of Christ to have a faith that is living and active, that takes responsibility from God 
to participate in his kingdom work, to take those risks, make those sacrifices for the sake of others. And it is my prayer that we will all have that kind of faith. Not a dead faith, but a faith that is living and active and paired with the good works of righteousness that come from following in Christ's example. So until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any questions or comments for me, you can contact me either through the Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share this with others to help get that message out there. But until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. I pray that this has been a meaningful message for you, an inspiring message, a message from God straight to you. And I also pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you for listening. Thank you.